and the change for the Sycamore House, okay? So remember we passed out some baby bottles. If, if you fill them with change, it's a bit of a fundraiser for the Sycamore House here in town. They're doing a great job. We want to support them. So Sunday's deadline, if you have questions about that, see Mike. Mike, wave your hand around. Do you know why I'm saying this? Okay, good. I was going to, never mind. Um, that's the Sunday. Then also, nursing home visits is Saturday. Oh, this Saturday they have it at 10 a.m. So if you're interested in being part of the nursing home outreach, see Vinny. That's this Saturday. But also this Saturday at 10 o'clock, too, is the women's coffee and crafts. Okay, so if you signed up for that, that's happening here. If you've got questions about that, you can see Margo or Kelly, who's down at the kids' church. A um, couple more things. Back here at the back, if you turn around and look, there's, there's a box with a, a kind of a red-looking uh, cover on it. That is for school supplies. We want to supply school supplies for all the families in our church. And then if we have excess, deliver it to uh, your Urbana school. So uh, there's a list of supplies on there of all the different things that we need. So we have, for our size church, a lot of kids. How many notice that? Okay, which is really cool. It's the best thing, I think. But uh, we want to supply school supplies. So all the, all the things that they need for the school year are on that list. So we want to collect it right before school starts, divvy it out to all the families, and, and go from there. So it's just a blessing for them. And last but not least is uh, not this weekend, but the next weekend is our youth camp. So I'm excited about that. We've got some of our young people going to that, 5th through 12th grade. It's happening at Lighthouse uh, Camp in St. Mary's. If your young person wants to go and they have not signed up, please do that like ASAP. And by the way, don't worry about the finances. If you can handle it, great. If you can't, please see me. I want everybody to go that wants to go, okay? So uh, if you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. Other than that, let's all stand up on our feet and let's get ready to spend time in some worship tonight. Amen. Well, we're doing a new song tonight, and I always love when we introduce a new song, but I wanted to talk about it for a minute because the words are so good. And if we can just hold on to this, it's something that we can use for the rest of our lives. God always will provide. He will always make a way. And in these lyrics, it says there's honey in the rock. The Bible says that with honey from the rock, I, would have sat, I will satisfy you. He will make provision anywhere you are. He can make it come whenever you need it. Just like manna on the ground, he will always nourish you. He will supply all of our needs according to his riches, not our own understanding, but what the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, that is where the riches come from. And so as we sing this song, just remember that he will provide for you. It doesn't matter if you're going through a desert right now. It doesn't matter if you're living in the increase right now. He always will provide for you. Amen. He is so good. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, manna on the ground, no matter where I go.
praise out to him tonight. We worship you. We're, we're in the house of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, we praise you, Jesus, and we worship you. Your name is worthy to be praised. Praise you. Lord, you are high above. Lord, all things are underneath you. You are an authority and power and majesty. We praise you. children. You are our Father. Simply to be with you. To be close with you. Lord, be with us tonight. Be with us tonight. Jesus' name. 
to somebody, love on them for a minute, um, and then we'll get to tithing offering in just a moment. But uh, family faith, it's good to have you tonight.
to have you tonight. We'll take up tithe and offering. So if you have something to give, you can prep it. And uh, if, you, if you need an offering envelope in the chairs in front of you, if not, um, wave your hand around while the ushers will help you out. And uh, let me just pray over that, and then you can uh, bring it down tonight. Lord, uh, in continuation of our worship tonight is our giving, and, and it is worship to you that we are giving something of ourselves, in this case of our finances, Lord, in honor of you, because the tithe is holy to you. And I thank you, Lord, that, that you always have provision in front of us, just like that first song that we sang, Lord. There's always provision in front of us, Lord. And in times when, when it seems to be struggle, Lord, you are there. In the times that, that it seems like it, it's getting tough, you are there. And I pray that our giving is a, an attitude of, of, of worship to you because of that, Lord. And we're responding to the increase of our life, Lord. So as we give tonight, it's just that life of faith we're continuing in. In Jesus' name, and we all say Amen. Bring it if you have it. Don't forget our values at the church is we live by faith. We value relationships and we're rescuers. Amen. So uh, the different things that that means for us, you know, we uh, believe certainly living by faith that we learn to love God with all of our being. And uh, with that, then loving, loving our neighbors as ourselves, that we value relationships. And then certainly then we don't stop there, but we take the gospel to the world that we're rescuers. How many of y'all agree with that? Good, good, good. And, and different people that are out tonight, so I know it's summer, lots of things going on. So, it, it, you know, reach out to people, say hi, you know, connect with them, pray, um, and, and all that kind of stuff. Don't forget at the back table back there, you got these little invite cards that just uh, put our service times on here. So if you know people that don't attend a church, and uh, it's great to invite somebody out. You never know what that one invite may do. Amen. All right. Book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. I know we, we put the verses up on the screen, but um, I do encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. And we've been in the book of Romans. Try not to uh, do a verse-by-verse walkthrough, but it's hard to do in the book of Romans because there's so much there, and Romans is so dense, and there's so much that Paul is doing. Uh, we're actually at the beginning of chapter 5. I think we'll be doing this series in through near the end of August. Um, love to get through chapter 5 and 6 tonight, but we'll see how it goes. The book of Romans, Paul's great epistle to the churches in Rome. Um, where we've been, uh, I don't want to recap too long, but where we've been with this is that Paul is writing pretty much to make sure that the churches in Rome are on the same page about what the gospel is. Because as the church is growing, there's a lot of different things that are happening uh, as far as uh, what's being said, what's coming, trying to come into the churches and different things like that. But Paul, one of the things that he does in his letters, he makes sure that what the essentials of the gospel are, that they are emphasized and held true by the people of faith. So Romans, if you want to say one of the central themes is the gospel. Remember, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation of those who believe. So Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. That's his mission. It's his calling as an apostle. He is always pushing the gospel out there, even amidst the persecution and pushback and all the things that happen because of that. So in not being ashamed of the gospel, he's emphasizing in the book of Romans, this letter to the church of Rome, that the just shall live by faith, that you cannot earn your righteousness. There is nothing you can do to earn the status of justification, in other words, declared right before God. You can't earn it. And, and he, he appeals to, as we were last week, with, with uh, Abraham, that Abraham was declared uh, right in righteousness before God because of his faith his active belief, his trust, his, his obedience, his following. So it is the just to live by faith. And Paul is appealing to the tradition from where Christianity has come from. So we have, uh, he's appealing to the prophets. He's appealing to Abraham. He even appeals to, to David, who was under the law, 
Abraham was not, but David was, the Mosaic law that was given. He even appeals to David that David knew that in his sin, he couldn't do anything to earn forgiveness from God. That had to be attained simply by believing in faith that God would forgive him. Uh, Paul, tonight, as we, as we get into this, he's actually going to appeal to the difference between Adam and Jesus. But So Paul, with the gospel, now before we get into chapter 5, let's just jump back to chapter 3 and verse 21, and, and sort of the epicenter of the book of Romans, Paul kind of really laying out for him the gospel here, but now a righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, they lean towards Jesus. They, they lead us to Jesus. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. There, there is one of the essence of the gospel. For all who believe, the righteousness of God is there for you. Why is it necessary? For there is no distinction so as we've seen up to this point, he, he's addressing uh, Gentile believers in the churches of Rome, but there's also Jewish believers in the churches of Rome. Those that are there that are, as Jewish believers, still live under the law, but then all the Gentile believers who do not live under the law, and they're both being addressed here. So that's why he says, there is no distinction. All, whether or not you're the Jew, whether or not you're the Gentile, all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Right. That's the gospel. Through the redemption, now that word redemption right there, we've been doing a series on Sundays called the Images of Salvation. So this past Sunday we talked about reconciliation, the time before that, what it meant that God has delivered us, he saved us. We're going to talk about redemption Sunday, that image, that part of our salvation. Through the redemption, that is in Christ Jesus. So how are you redeemed? How are you saved? How is the price paid? Through Jesus alone. There is no other way to be justified before God except by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And then we say amen. Okay, so that's sort of the epicenter of the gospel for Paul in the book of Romans. Now, let's jump up to where we where we are, chapter 5, and again, we're not going to go verse by verse through this, but chapter 5, verse number 1, therefore, and, and this is leading after in, in chapter 4, if you remember from last time, that Abraham was used as an example of being justified by faith, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, now again, I want to keep hitting terms here, but that word justified means that I am declared right in the eyes of God. Once and for all, I'm declared right. That my standing and my past is seen right before God. That's why later in the book of Romans, Paul writes, therefore there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because my past has been forgiven and taken care of. I stand right before God, justified, in other words, declared right before him that my standing is good. I'm reconciled. Remember from Sunday, I'm reconciled. That relationship has been repaired, it's been mended, it's been restored to right standing. So I'm justified by faith. Now watch this. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, notice it says there, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In this series on Sunday's Images of Salvation, I thought about taking a Sunday to do this, but I'm not going to, so let me talk about it a little bit tonight. One of the ways that you view your salvation is that I am at peace with God. So, so you can make this statement, I'm saved. So how many of you count yourself among the saved? Let me see. Okay, you can say, I'm saved, and that means I'm at peace with God. That's the image of salvation. It's another way of seeing your salvation. Because remember with reconciliation, this is the outworking of our reconciliation. When man is at odds with God, remember from Sunday, 
the enmity between man and God is because man has sinned. As a matter of fact, in our sin, we're counted as an enemy of God. Where there is an enemy situation, there is not peace. Right? But in our salvation, one of the images of salvation, one of the ways we see our salvation is because that relationship has been reconciled, we are at full peace with God. And therefore, at peace with him, one of the outworkings of that peace is the wrath to come because the sin is not for me any longer. I'm justified. Okay? That, that's important to understand that. Remember in Isaiah chapter 9, one of the great uh, Christmas verses that we always, every, every year talk about. Uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. What's the last one? Prince of Peace. Now, who's that a prophecy about? Jesus. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Why? Because in his work on the cross, he is the way back to the Father, and he brings peace between God and man. So one of the ways that I see my salvation is I'm saved, therefore I am at peace with God, and God's at peace with me. What, what the difference and the mess between us in my sin, remember from Sunday, we are reconciled to God. God is not reconciled to us. We're reconciled to him because we are the offending party, not him. But what I have done to bring my difference between God has been taken care of. Therefore, I'm at perfect peace with my God. So that, that's what Paul is, is writing there. So through him, verse 2 of chapter 5, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You see that? Where is your positioning in God? You stand in grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. That's what grace is. So it was this whole idea that Paul's getting at. You can't earn justification. You can't earn your righteousness, right? Grace is giving you something you do not deserve. That's what grace is. And where do you stand with God? I'm standing in what I don't deserve. Isn't that, isn't that right? So everything that grace supports, not only is grace giving you what you don't deserve, but it is in the grace of God that he gives us what we need to live a life with him. So grace is the avenue. Grace is made available because God loves us. And part of the avenue of grace is the work of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that brings us our salvation. So our salvation is a work of grace. And where do I stand? In grace. Listen, what Paul is getting at that should relieve you, it takes this whole thing off you that i got to constantly earn brownie points to make God happy. Now, does that mean you go live how you want? No, we'll deal with that at the beginning of chapter 6. But you start with this idea that everything that God has given me is a gift. So I, I, I told you before, um, growing up, my parents kept children foster children, right? And one of the wild things to watch was Christmas time. So not only would, would the, the, the care system bring gifts for the children, my parents would also provide gifts, which in a lot of, not all the cases, was much, much more than these children would get at Christmas time, if you know what I mean. I remember this one little boy in particular, little guy, they... And at that time, I think my parents had five or six different kids, so they, they, they sat them down, and there's a pile of gifts, and you know how you do it. You give one, you give one, you, get, you, know, you go around, and they open it, and they're gone. They're running around playing, and he's, oh, get back over here, there's another one. And you make them sit back down. And I'll never forget, they went to give this little boy this gift, and he was just like, why are you giving me a gift? I already got mine. He didn't understand that there's a possibility of unending grace in that way. That the gift of God, he didn't have, you don't earn it. It's something that God bestows and gives because he's a good God. You know what I'm talking about. You don't have to earn it. Amen. Paul's trying to get this across. You can't be justified 
by the works of the law, you can't be justified by living the best you can live. You can only be justified by grace in Jesus Christ. Okay, why don't we jump down to verse number six. And we were actually here on Sunday when we were talking about reconciliation. Let's just read this for a moment again. Again, this idea you can't earn this. For while we were still weak, at the right time. So, so why did it take in history to get to Jesus? I don't know. Why didn't he come at the... Why, why, why didn't Adam and Eve, whatever they did, Jesus comes and let's deal with this now? I have no idea. Okay. But at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly, the undeserving, those at enmity with God. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the death of Jesus, he actually brings provision in a way that if you really want to grab hold of it, you won't fall into trying to earn it. Because while I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. Amen. Now, again, that is unmerited favor. That's grace. If I am a sinner, I don't deserve the acts of God, the, the mighty acts of God of salvation. I don't deserve it. It's not that human beings are all just these bad people, but yet... Even though we may not necessarily be bad people, we are not in favor with God because of sin. See what I mean? <clears throat> All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, that, that in his blood, that's the redemption part, that's the ransom price. We'll talk about that Sunday. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So again, we're at peace with God, therefore we are saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. <coughs> and more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now how. I'm sorry, have now received reconciliation. Okay, back to Sunday. That relationship repaired, restored, made right. You don't have to be scared of God. You don't have to be in shame. You don't have to be in condemnation. My relationship with God is good. Amen. Okay, let's jump down to verse 15. Now, at this point, um, Paul reaches back to make another I guess, way of looking at this, another example. He starts to talk about Adam and Jesus. Now, we're not going to read this, this whole part of, uh, of chapter 5 about this, but what, what Paul is saying is Adam, being the head of the human race, and now Jesus is the head of new humanity. As one of the early church fathers said, Christ has given us a new way to be human. Think about that. In Jesus, there is a new way to live this life here and now. Remember, salvation is not a later event. Salvation is now. In our salvation now, he's given us a new way to live in this human thing called life. So he's going to contrast Adam, the, the head of the human race, which is condemned, it's lost in sin, and its, its result, what it's headed for, is death. But now Jesus, head of new humanity, instead of sin, righteousness, instead of condemnation, it's justification, instead of death, it's life. The opposite of condemnation is justification. I'm condemned. No, no, you're, you're right before God. My, my sins stare, still bear upon me. No, you've been cleared. Okay, so condemnation and justification are different. They're at odds with one another. So without Jesus, we stand condemned in our sin, we are dead in our trespasses, and our ultimate end is actual death. 
But in Jesus, we find new life. We find righteousness justification. So, so let's read what Paul has to say about some of this. Verse 15. But the free gift that's in Jesus is not like the trespass, what Adam did. For if many died through one man's trespass, again, reaching back to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more were those who received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So sin came through Adam. It came into the, the sphere of human existence. Again, Genesis chapter 3. And then because of that, death came through sin. That's the wage of sin. And in that, then death spread to all men because all have sinned. That's Romans 3.23. So each person, we sort of have this sin trait given to us by Adam. Sin entered the world through Adam, and after this, sin was ever on the increase. Sin comes to us as people inevitably and naturally. So one man to all men. But God is the God who saves and he brings us this free gift, not like the original sin that many died under, but in Jesus, that many have the free gift of the grace of God. The trespass of one man brought condemnation. The free gift brings justification. See, the abundance of grace, by the way, is more than enough. Now, I want you to see that. The abundance of grace, listen, it's not almost enough. It's not just there. But the abundance of grace is more than enough. People struggle with the idea of the forgiveness of God in their life. They struggle because sin makes its way, often has its way, Amen? Amen? And then we get into this thing with God, again, of, of condemnation and feeling shame and feeling unworthy, not good enough. Maybe God really doesn't love me that much. Well, I know he loves me, but he sort of really ticks off at me right now. And we get this whole business going on that, that starts to mess up this reconciled relationship that we have with God. God's grace is enough for you. You have to believe that. As a matter of fact, it's so much, you stand in it. It's like wherever you go, you're walking around in this big bubble of grace. Wherever I go. God's grace is enough to cover my mess, my sin, my mistakes, my failures, both in the past and in my present. God's grace is enough if we choose to live in faith, to have it. So Jesus, God in flesh, takes on flesh to deal with humanity and what they did in their flesh. You think about that. God in flesh came to deal with what humanity did in their flesh. God in flesh, Jesus comes, came to deal with the sin, the mess we made in our humanity, in our flesh. Now, now Paul starts to get into this a little bit in, in chapter 7, which we'll get to in a couple weeks. But this whole idea that we, we see the, the course of how God is dealing with humanity. So read the Old Testament. You got, at some point, Abram called the ghost somewhere, and the first steps to that man is our father in faith, who, who, 
comes in to be a great nation. And we have the Israelites to come, and they receive the Mosaic Law, which they're to live under. And that, that as Galatians says, that was sort of a guardian to, to keep things until Jesus comes. Okay? And we see this great story of God interacting with humanity, but nothing that God did up until Jesus coming fully takes care of the problem. It took God in flesh to deal with the sin in the flesh of humanity in the final way. Amen. That's why Jesus comes. Jesus comes to save us from our sin. Now, lest we get kind of out of whack with this whole grace thing, you, you get to chapter 6 and verse number 1. Watch what Paul says here. Now, you, you can earn it, right? We live by faith. We stand in grace. Now, Paul sort of made this argument in chapter 3, and he comes back to it in a different way in chapter 6. He makes sure that we don't get too far over here with this whole idea there's nothing governing us. We're not under the law anymore, so what is governing us? Well, well he starts to deal with this in 6, 7, and 8. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. That's a whole lot of stuff packed right there. So we start with this. First of all, because we stand in the grace of God, if you remember back in chapter 3, there was this argument kind of, Paul kind of deals with a little bit, well, well, I guess since it's the unfaithfulness of man that highlights the faithfulness of God, shouldn't we stay unfaithful so his faithfulness keeps being highlighted? Paul's like, no, that's silliness. And it's the same thing with sin. Because grace is there for us, and, it, and it's uh, everything you need above what you need. You stand in grace. Does that mean you can keep on sinning so grace keeps abounding? By no means. Grace is not the license to sin. Grace is what we're given to deal with sin. Amen. Watch what Paul says then. He, he's making an argument here about your standing. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, again, how many of you count yourself among the saved? You are dead to sin. That's your standing. You have died to sin. When you are justified before God, declared right, that sin has been made dead. Okay, now, when we get to chapter 7, there's some dealing with this, because Paul says things, well, when I want to do good, the evil's right there with me, and we'll deal with what he's talking about at that point. But just understand, your standing as somebody who is saved is, I am dead to sin. You have to believe that. Listen, a sinner is not your identity any longer. Now, any of us can sin at any moment. And every, any one of us could be one step from falling into something that's a mess because of our choices. But in your stand... Now, again, is somebody who is lost in their sin reconciled with God? No. But are you reconciled? then your identity is not a sinner lost in his sin. We can still be sinful. We'll talk about that later in Romans. But your identity is, I have died to sin. That is not me. Okay? So, so if, if you fall into a sin, it may be an outworking of your flesh, which you're still dealing with, but that is not you. That's not me. Why am I doing that? I've been set free from that. See, in your salvation, you're not just forgiven of your sin, you're set free from it. That whole business of the ability to live a new life, what is that? That's freedom from sin. Now, do we work this out? Yep, are we perfect? No. 
but grace is not a license to sin. Now, now why is this? And Paul kind of puts this in terms of what Jesus did. You have been baptized into Christ Jesus. In other words, you were baptized into his death. You were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, you can walk in new life. So did Jesus literally die? So did you. You know that? And, and that whole idea that he was buried, that, that puts the emphasis on this was a literal death. He was buried. But yet he was raised to life. Was Jesus literally raised to life? So are you. Now, that happened with his physical body. Where it's happening with you is right here. I have died, old man gone, new creation. Amen? That's water baptism symbolizes this. Old man, new man. Right? I have died to my sin. I've been buried with Christ. And I have been resurrected to new life. And we live in a prophetic, foreshadowing way of the life to come in the fullness of the resurrected body. That's who you are. In what Jesus did, it happens for you. That is why you can say, I have died to sin. That's not my identity anymore. There is literally an old me that none of you have ever met. You know that? There's an old me that none of you have ever met. He's been long gone about, I don't even know, I can't count that far. It's been a while. But you, what you're getting to know, what you've been getting to know for a while now is a new me. I'm still working this out, but you've met the new me. Not perfect yet, still working on it, but that's who you know. I don't live in my former identity any longer. It's dead. The old man has been gone. Now, the enemy would love to keep bringing your old man back. Isn't that right? You've got to make sure the old man stays off. But how do you do that? I stand in grace. God continually gives me what I need to do, what he's asking me to do. Okay? So we are buried with him in his death. We're raised with him in his resurrection. Uh, jump down to verse 12. What time is it? Oh, boy. Okay. Give me 10 more minutes and we'll get out of here. Verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as the instruments for righteousness. Now, he, he gets back to this in chapter 12. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So now that I've been dead to sin, and my identity in him is a new person, new creation, given new life, why would I offer myself back to sin? You have a choice to do that, right? But Paul's making the argument, again, this is flowing from what he said at the beginning of chapter sin. Six, just because grace is there doesn't mean we can keep sinning. Quit offering yourself back to sin. Matter of fact, offer yourself to God. And that the life that you live, this newness of life, be guided by the Spirit in him. Because it goes on to say there that uh, sin, watch this, verse 14, sin has no dominion over you. At no point of your life do you sin because sin makes you sin. It doesn't have dominion over you any longer. As Paul's working out this argument here that he'd been going from the very beginning here, is you're not under law any longer. In other words, you're not under what can't justify you. You're not under what can't save you. You can't earn this stuff by following the works of the law, but now you are under, notice the word under, under grace. For those before were under the law, now we're under grace. Let's keep reading. What then? Again, he's going back here. Are we to sin 
because we're not under the law but under grace by no means. Do you know that if you present your bodies to anyone as obedient slaves? Now, a slave is, is somebody who's submissive and somebody who obeys. You can be a slave to sin, or as Paul's going to say, a slave to righteousness. But you will be obedient under something. And it is being under grace that we become slaves of righteousness. Picking up middle of 16. You are slaves of the one who obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now what that means is, the teachings that passed on from Jesus to the apostles was founded to churches and all of those things. That we're obedient to that teaching. That's how we learn to live our righteousness. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, you can read on and, and continue what Paul's getting at here is you, listen to me, you are absolutely set free from sin. Now, do you believe that? that that's, that's sort of an important point. Do you believe that? That the work of Jesus, that living by faith, we can have a new life justified before God, set free from sin from which we were in slavery to, and now slave to a right way of living, obedient to a way of living that is godlike, led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. That's you, and that's your identity. That's who I am. So when temptation comes, how many of y'all were literally tempted by something today? Anybody? Okay. You're not a slave to that. You don't have to give in to that. That's not you. You're dead to that. Now, now can you give in to it? Can, can you walk in the sin? I hope grace abounds all the more. Yeah, you, you can do that stuff. But that's not you. And the choice isn't to do those kind of things. My identity is now standing in grace, justified before my God in right reconciliation. Amen. Okay, it's hard to find stopping points as, as Paul keeps rolling here, so we'll get into chapter 7 next week. Are we getting there with this a little bit? Okay, I hope. Romans is pretty thick, it's pretty dense, it's a lot to say. We'll get there, we'll get there with it. I want you to start thinking of yourself in a new way if you don't already think of yourself that way. Part of the renewing of your mind is your understanding of you. Oh, I'm just, I'm just a sinner. No, you're not. Right? Oh, I, I, don't think, I don't think I can resist this temptation. Oh, yeah, you can. Oh, I, I don't know. It's just me. No, it's not you. You've been made new. We still deal with our flesh, but you have been made new. Amen? So let's begin to live this way. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you tonight for an opportunity just to be in your house. Spend a little time in worship and, and a bit in your word, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that we find our identity in who you are. And what that means for each one of us. We thank you so much for the free gift that you've given us. We thank you so much for the unmerited favor, your grace in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for your helping us live this new life that you've afforded us. I, pr I pray we're people, Lord, that, that we're quick in repentance, that we're, we're people that are hearing the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit as, as it leads us each day. I pray, Lord, that this new creation inside of us is working itself out in each one of us every single day. Lord, that we are 
not only those who have been reconciled, but those that have been given this ministry of reconciliation to take it to the world. Lord, help us. We need you. But we thank you for your help. And we thank you for what you've done for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you tonight. If you would like prayer about anything before you go, please come down. We'd love to spend a moment with you. If not, we'll see you Sunday morning. Be blessed as you go.